Hey everybody, Bees with Ben. Super pumped today, super excited because I've got a really cool guest. We have Matthew Waltner Taves from Unspun Honey all the way in South Australia. Now he does something really super unique. And what he does is he actually does worry hives. And that's how we harvest the honey. So we're going to hear all about this very unique, different way of doing bees and honey. Thank you, Matthew, for your time. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Ben. It's Great to be on your show. Yeah, awesome, mate. I'm really super excited because you, you're you doing something. I, I, to my knowledge, no one does what you do anywhere in Australia. Is that correct? Uh, it, that's actually not correct. I, there's, there's at least one other person. I think there's one other person in Australia who's doing it, and that would be Tim Malfoy from Malfoy's Gold. Um, and he's based in New South Wales. Uh, they run... I think they run closer to 400 hives, but he also does Langstroth hives, and they come from a beekeeping family, um, and they sort of broke with tradition and went went ware, uh hives. Um, but and and he, I think he does teaching and stuff like that out in Sydney as well. But um, I, like all beekeepers, he can be difficult to get on the line. Yes, um, that's that's so true. And, and there's okay. there's definitely a, sh- a shortage of beekeepers doing warrior beekeeping in the world. I think there might be five of us doing it anywhere near a commercial scale worldwide. Yeah, wow, that's and, that's incredible. So, so so let's just jump back a step for for two seconds. So hmm. a worry hive, sort of for those who are sort of new in the bees and never heard of this style of hive, can you explain mm-hmm. to everyone how you describe it? Yeah, it's so. Uh, rather than being a Langstroth hive, which is, you know, it's a rectangular box, the warai boxes are square boxes. And the the original design uh, called for just top bars in the hive. So it would be top bars that would be uh, affixed to the uh, to the top of the box, and then you would uh, harvest, the, you harvest the entire box um, with a knife. And it in the original design, it was very difficult to do any sort of fruit inspection or, you know, pull it apart at all. But the idea behind why beekeeping was very hands-off. So you'd um, just let the bees, quote-unquote, do their thing. If they need to swarm, they swarm. Um, and then the other, there's a big philosophical difference, I guess, is that you put boxes in the bottom of the hive instead of on the top. So it's called nadiring okay. rather than supering. Okay. And what that does is it, it, it allows the bees to, they build down, right? So they'll, the brood will hatch out of the comb and then, as the bees move, uh, run out of space up there, they'll move down into the next box down. And bees will hatch out and they'll backfill with honey. And so the queen is always laying in fresh comb. And the, uh, the honey, when you harvest it, will always be post-brood comb. So uh, that, will, that will change the flavor of it. Now, we've had to make some changes to it in Australia because, of course, we have to, have, you have to be able to inspect your hives, and especially in, uh, I think, in an urban environment and in this day and age where we've got diseases from pretty much all over the world. Luckily, we don't have mites here, but I still think it's very important to be able to inspect your hives. Um, you need to have frames. Yes. The way I do it, and, and the way Tim does it too, is that we use three-quarter frames for the most part. So the, it's open at the bottom, um, but there are frames on the side. And the bees usually don't adhere between one box and the next box down. Um, they'll just they'll leave they'll leave bee space between the the between the boxes, okay. uh, but sometimes sometimes they will adhere. And so the when I do go to harvest, I use a use a piano wire. Actually, I use a guitar string and just run run it between the boxes uh, to separate them. Okay, okay. Um, 
I think one other big difference is that uh, we use it's called a quilt box, and you can do this for a, a length drop hive as well. And you put that on top of the it's a, so it's, rather than having vents in the roof, it's a closed roof with a an, sort of like an insulated roof space. Uh, and the because because it is frameless or certainly found, it's foundationless uh, beekeeping uh, requires a lot of careful management at the beginning while the bees are building their comb just to make sure that they're doing it straight. Okay. And then at harvest time, because there's no no foundation, no wires, and no bottom bar, you can't centrifuge the honey out. Uh, the only way to do it is crush and strain. Okay. So that means you know cutting cutting the entire bar of of honeycomb off, and then and then finding a way to crush it. Uh, and and I guess in the in the original idea it was Emile Loire was a, a French beekeeper who had this idea. It was beekeeping for all, so it was beekeeping that anybody could do in their own backyard. Uh, sort of an, supposed to be an easier style of beekeeping. I say so it's called the um, the people's hive. Was that the other name that they the people's yes. hive? Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and, and with the quilt box, and we're, we're going to talk about how you do honey shortly and so forth but with the with the quilt box matthew so what what do you use as far as the insulation because i think traditionally it's like sawdust or something on it yeah so because i'm also uh i made my own hive so i've actually got um i've got sawdust but i've also got wood shavings mostly i use i use a mix of, of wood shavings and uh, uh wood shavings sawdust sometimes i'll use um uh just oh what do you call it uh, like sugar sugar cane mulch I'll mix some of that in just so that it's a little bit more fluffy because you don't I don't want it to be too dense if I just use straight up sawdust it can be quite dense in the in in the roof space and I actually want it to be more sort of a mix of air and um and wood shavings is best okay and and, and with the wood so with the your hives so so how many hives are you roughly running roughly depends on the time of year but uh roughly 100 wow so that's that's a like full time job especially as you're saying there's sort of the management level is very different to the Langstroth and, and and with the wood do you so you, what what particular type of wood do you use and do you make all that yourself I yeah I, I make all my hives myself I didn't I didn't come into this as a as a beekeeper I came into this as a I used to, I used to be a, an architect and landscape architect and uh, then when we had our first uh, child I took a step back from that and and, and got into beekeeping uh, organically I started with one or two hives and actually started with top bar hives. And then I did a bunch of breeding. I decided this top bar hives were really quite um, too difficult to move for sure. Yes. Um, and uh, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll give. And I, I was very interested in, quote, quote, natural beekeeping at the time. And I still am. Um, although my, my philosophy on what constitutes natural, natural beekeeping, I think, has changed. Uh, but yeah, I do use, um, I use Cypress, but it's reclaimed Cypress, okay. uh, from, so from, uh, farms who have planted Cypress trees, uh, on their, for hedgerows and whatnot. Um, there's a company called Golden Cypress that, that will make, um, bee box grade timber. Although I haven't ordered from them in a while. I don't actually know whether they are still doing it. I, I ordered quite a lot, uh, at the beginning. So I, I'm still sort of working through that stash. And uh, I've I've made some some of my boxes I've made out of pine. Some of them I've made out of um, I made out of cedar. Um, I got some cedar from a friend, which is really quite nice wood to work with. Very lightweight, very easy to cut. Okay. Um, 
but I, I do like the cypress wood. It's quite nice. Okay. And and with the um, – so the climate. So you're in South Australia. So where, whereabouts in South yeah. Australia are you, Matthew? I'm, I'm based in Mount Gambia. Um, okay, so this okay. is, yeah, it's, a, it's we, call it, we call it the limestone coast. Uh, and it's um, the uh, – what can I say about the climate? It's very wet. We have um, – we have a couple of winters usually. So right now we're sort of in first spring, but then it'll usually dip down. Probably next week it's going to drop again down to 13 or something like that. And it just sort of goes up and down a little bit before proper spring and summer kicks in. Okay. And and, spe- and, uh, and speaking of spring, like what sort of flowers you know, are you targeting? Or do you – so your hives, I'm guessing, are pretty stationary. You don't move them around like a lot of sort of migratory beekeepers chasing honey? Yeah, that's right. I don't, I, I don't chase flowers. I, I put my hives on uh, adjacent bush blocks and um, next to close to national parks, but on private land. Um, and I get whatever's in the, you know, in, in the area. So I'm really trying to get a snapshot. One of the things that I've, I've been focusing on more is, is the uniqueness of the flavor, the, the terroir of the, of the, of the honey. So the, okay. the location, everything that's flying around here, but right now what's flowering, I mean, there's, there are a lot of weeds flowering, of course. There's cape weed and, and dandelion and things like that that are, it's impossible not to be within range of that stuff. Yes. Yep. Um, so that goes into it. But then there are also a ton of, of wildflowers. Um, there are different kinds of coastal manuka that we've got down here um, that, that flower. We've got, um, there are all, all different kinds of gums, everything from eucalyptus leucoxalum to, uh, you know, when, uh, later, later in the year we'll get uh um, some Caribbean's little flower. We've got quite a bit of um, stringy bark down here, um, so okay. a real mix of different things. Okay, and so and with the honey, so you're obviously the way you process the honey. Let's let's have a talk about that because that's very different to what most people do. So so when do you harvest? Obviously, I'm guessing it varies from time to time and area to area. So talk us through yep. that, Matthew, as as when when you harvest the honey and how much roughly you get per box and, and the, the processing that happens and why it's a lot better than um, say the conventional um, processing of honey. It's certainly, it's certainly a lot different than traditional processing of honey. I think uh, I'll talk about the, I'll go through the, the negatives first and then I'll talk yes. about the positives. Okay. Cause that, yep. cause it's, be that, that, it's, it's nicer to end on the positive, I think. Um, so the negatives are that uh, because it requires harvesting the entire comb, it, you end up getting less honey per harvest because the bees have to rebuild the comb every time. Um, it's also more labor intensive to, to crush honey, I think, than it is to spin it out in the centrifuge. Um, and because I'm not chasing flows I'm, and the hives are stationary, I'm, I'm just going to get less honey. Uh, or it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary very much between seasons, especially because some of the eucalyptus trees, just yes. you know, they might flower every two to seven years, right? So, you know, you never know uh, really what the season's going to bring it uh, if you're not if you're not chasing it. Um, the benefits, though, are that uh, one of the things that so uh, the way I, the way I, I harvest and crush the honey, I, I use uh, stainless steel presses, um, and you can buy them at a lot of um, just honey supply stores. This is like a ten liter stainless steel press, but I've got four of them running um, <laughs> when I'm actually doing harvest. So I'll harvest. Um, Usually three to four times a year. Okay. Yep. Uh, in in traditional warrior beekeeping, they would say just harvest at the end of the year, just harvest in autumn, uh, 
you know, before winter, keep on adding boxes to the bottom, let the hive build up really tall and strong. Um, but I, I increased the number of hives that I, that I had faster than I had boxes to put on the bottoms of the hives. So I probably should have just built up um, the hives that I had taller to begin with and that influenced the way I harvest. Yes. So what I do is I usually, I'll harvest at the end of spring. Um, Then usually there's a dearth in November and then uh, November, December, and then uh, there'll be a bunch of stuff that'll flower sort of in January-ish, end of December and January, February, and I'll do a harvest then. And then I'll usually do another harvest in um, March or April um, going, going into autumn. And, uh, the way I do it is I will um, take the boxes. Um, I harvest off the top of the hive, and then I'll, I'll usually I'll put a, another blank box in the bottom of the hive when I do a harvest. And that means lifting up the entire stack or, or taking the hive apart um, and then, you know, putting one on the bottom and then putting it, the, the heavy boxes on top again. And then I <laughs> take the boxes back to my shed. I cut the comb out. Um, into into buckets uh, while, while I wait uh, for the presses to, to empty from the last bit that I've been crushing. I wrap the comb in muslin cloth, which is just like a cotton cloth, um, pop it into the stainless steel press, and then it's just arm strength and crushing it down and waiting, it, waiting for it to drip down through uh, a strainer, which is just a, you know, it's only it's like a millimeter strainer. It doesn't really, it strain, strains out, uh, errant bee legs and yes, <laughs> bits yes. of wax and yep. stuff like that. Right. Um, but, but nothing more than that. Um, and then it just goes straight from, from that into, uh, into glass jars. Um, and the benefit of doing it this way is that the, one of the things that can really degrade the flavor of honey is, is air. Um, and so when you, when you spin out honey, you're exposing the honey to a lot of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes apart a lot, of the, um, a lot of the flavor of the honey. Actually destroy a bunch of the flavor in the honey by spinning it out. So when you crush it, you, you preserve a lot of that flavor. And of course I'm doing it on... Wow. Yeah. So, okay. um, and, and then the other real benefit, I think, is that because I'm, I'm crushing out uh, post brood comb, when the bees will move the um, they move the brood down. They won't always move all the pollen down. So there's almost always bee bread in in the combs that I'm crushing, and so there can be up to a million times more pollen per milliliter in in wari honey than you'll get in in traditional Langstroth honey. And there's a lot of flavor in pollen. It adds a real a real richness to the flavor. It decreases the sweetness of the honey. Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's there's protein in the pollen too. So it um, it just it changes. It, it's indescribable, really. It, it really changes the the, the mouthfeel of the honey, the flavor of the honey, the complexity of it. Um, it makes it into a very different thing. Wow, that's that's incredible. I just love the way that process because that's just just as pure and just that minimal. Uh, almost no processing. It's just like crushed and strained, and then it's and it's yep. bottled. So that's that's so so. Let's talk about obviously reflecting that price. What what what's the retail price of a say a say a jar of honey? So I, I sell my my honey in three seventy five um, gram jars, 
and retail price is anywhere from 14 to $16 per jar. So it comes out to about 40 bucks a kilo. Yes, that's awesome. Um, that's cheap. I think you need to raise your prices, Matthew, because that, that what you're doing is is a really natural way of doing it, but it's taking a lot longer, and you get obviously a lot less honey, which is obviously yeah. it's good for the bees because you're keeping them natural. But also, too, in regards to that honey, like you're you're getting honey, which is absolutely nutritious, as you're saying, and it's not even right. Yeah. So one one of the one of the downsides of it, of course, is that one of the things that makes honey go candy quickly. Is are are um, if there is anything particulate in your honey, anything that will make it cloudy, that's one of the things that will make it go candy rapidly. In addition to, you know, sugar content or whatever else, but pollen in the honey makes it go candy extremely fast. Okay. So my honey goes candy. You know, you snap your fingers. Doesn't matter what the source is from. It's just going to go candy in you know a week. Okay. Which is great. I think it, I, honestly I prefer candy honey. But trying to get consumers to purchase. Can, candied honey off the shelf, even, and I'm in, I'm in some very upscale um, supermarkets in Adelaide, you know, um, Tony and Mark's and uh, Drake's and yeah, awesome. um, um, so some, some, some quite good ones, but getting consumers to buy candied honey off the shelf is, has been um, uh, definitely a real challenge. I think I could probably move it at a higher price. Um, on a on a small scale, and I have been able to move it, move it. I think at a higher price, small scale, but 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 doing it, um, I probably produce on average any, anywhere from seven hundred kilos to a ton a year okay. out of my hundred hives. Yes. Yep. Um, so some hives in, in a season, I might in in a box, one box of my honey when I when I harvest it, I get probably around twelve kilos, give or take. Okay. Um, and I'll. On, in, a, in a good season, like if I get um, if stringy bark floats, for instance, I might get two boxes off of every hive that I have in that on that stringy bark um, yes. forest. I, think I might have like twenty or thirty hives near stringy bark, so that can be quite good. But then you have years like last year where nothing flowered in the stringy bark, and I actually ended up losing hives to the heat wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I. I Yes, I could probably charge more for it, but not on a supermarket shelf. Um, on my website, I probably could. The difficulty in moving a ton of honey on your own, though, um, there's, there's issues of scale, right? Like moving moving 200 kilos of honey on my own, not a problem. Yes. 400 kilos of honey on my own become a bit more challenging. A ton of honey on my own, well, I've had to move to using a distributor. Yes, and okay. yes. be, because I, I'm using a distributor, I'm not personally getting anywhere near 40 bucks a kilo for it, right? Because yeah. the, you've got all kinds of, the supermarket shelf price is 40 bucks a kilo, but then they take a, a cut and the distributor takes a cut. Yes. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm getting closer to probably about 20 bucks a kilo. Um, so one of the things that I've been looking at now um, this year is starting to, um, find other beekeepers who are doing more traditional Langstroth honey, um, who I know and trust in the area on the limestone coast. But then, rather than just going and buying bulk honey, um, because I don't trust that um, a lot of the time. I've my distributor tried to give me get me some honey once and said, "Taste this. I'm pretty sure it's it's raw honey. We should we should just buy a bunch of this stuff." And I tasted it, and I could immediately tell it had been run through a heating line of some sort. Um, it, it tasted a little bit cooked and, you know, 
I'm not going to name names a supplier, but yeah. um, so at that point I started going off and, and actually tasting honey directly from some of the other beekeepers in the area and finding out who was producing some quality single source honey. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm starting to repackage some Langstroth honey. Okay. Yep. Um, and just aiming for the, for the flavor profiles that I really like so that what I can do with my own honey. So one of the things that I can do with the Warai honey, um, is I, I've actually tested it, um, for antibacterial properties and it tests anywhere from, um, NPA five to NPA 15 plus. Wow. Um, and it's not on Manuka. So it's getting this, the, the non-peroxidal activity um, that it's getting is from the, it's actually from the processing of it. Um, by crushing it, um, one of the things that bees do when they, and I'm sure you're aware of this, it, they use propolis to line you know, so many different aspects of the hive, right? And one of the things that'll make a comb dark is that they, when the bees hatch out, they'll often polish the inside of the, of the, of the brood cells with a bit of propolis before they lay down the next layer of, um, you know, of silk and getting it all ready for the, for the, uh, for the next line of brood to go through. And so after generations of brood, you'll get layers and layers of propolis put down inside the frame. And when you, when the bees backfill with honey, that propolis will infuse into the honey and propolis is antibacterial. So the honey ends up being infused with, with propolis and that gives it an antibacterial um, nature. So one of the things I'm going to try to do now is um, take the honey that tests well and, and uh, try to get it onto the, onto the more of the top shelf at the supermarket, um, the, the Manuka shelf, if you will. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so as, and, and, uh, as a non, as a, as like a medicinal honey almost. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if I do that, then I can definitely get a, a more, I, I, I would say a more fair price for it. Um, based on the amount of work that I'm putting into getting it out of the boxes. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's right. Exactly. The amount of work that you're yeah. doing is, I reckon it's fantastic what you're doing and it's, and it is niche, but I love niche. Yeah. You know I mean, and that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, let's just go back a step because you know, we're just talking about the, um, the crystallized honey. So yeah. you mentioned the general consumer, um, obviously got it in some really good, awesome establishments. So very foodie type people. So uh, yep. people, cause I love crystallized honey for me is, Awesome, yeah. I mean, I love you know it's got a different mouthfeel, a different texture, yep. and obviously the flavors uh, taste different to just a, a more of a liquid honey. So, so you're finding with the consumers that it's just a lack of education that they're not they're looking at the honey and going, oh, I don't want set honey. Or how, how are you finding that direction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that that's it. I mean, they they look at a jar of honey and they can't tell whether it's whether it's they think maybe honey has gone off, um, or if they'll see. Uh, They'll see a bit of a frosting on the inside of the jar, um, which is just, if there's white streakiness on the inside of the jar, it doesn't mean the honey's gone bad. It just means it's crystallized at a different rate on that side of the jar. Um, and that, that can put people off because it doesn't look as nice as honey that's purely liquid um, or even in that, you know, creamed honey or in that middle ground between, um, between going crystallized and, and fully liquid just so it's cloudy. People like it in that state. They just don't want it to be rock hard. Um, and I think part of that, yeah, it's just education. People don't know how to, they don't want to put in the effort to decrystallize honey. 
Um, and, and they think maybe it'll, it'll affect the flavor of the honey. They think maybe there's something wrong with it. Now that I'm, I'm, I've got a quite good distributor and, and he's has been, um, doing, uh, tastings for me in a lot of shops and getting people to change their minds. So now I've got a, a fairly loyal, uh, fan base, I would say yes. in, in Adelaide, yep. um, who are, who are, who will buy the honey regardless of how it looks because they know it's going to taste awesome on the jar. That's exactly, that's right. And it's actually funny how I got in contact with you, um, a commercial beekeeper in South Australia, uh, Simeon uh, Volgerberg, said to me, send me a message, you've got to, get, got to get this guy on your podcast because, you know, and there's a good example of, so, you know, chalk uh-huh. and cheese of, of a commercial guy, you know, it's big mainstream, you know, you know using heated cuppers, so. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, can, I, can I ask who it was? Oh, Sim, 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 uh, uh, Simeon Volkenberg. Simeon. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he actually, yeah, he even said to me, he's actually going to post me out a, uh, a jar of your honey, so it's uh, which is cool because I just love, yeah, for me, I just love trying people's honey because it's just so, particularly the effort, you know, of what you're doing, especially is, is I love it, you know, what I mean, and, and it's so, I feel like I'm you know, talking to you, Matthew, I feel like me as a beekeeper. I'm cheating, you know what I mean, because you know I'm doing it on a bigger scale, and I'm, you know, what I mean, extracting on a big, you know, big extractors and so forth. And the way you're doing yep. it, so artisanal and boutique, and and done in a very, very precise and, and good, good way. It's it's it, it is. I mean, but it's it's a, obviously it's a very different way of doing beekeeping. Um, but as, as you know, I mean, trying to there's there's a difference between just trying to make honey and I have people ask me, how many hives do I have to get before I can make a living off it? Which is, um, you know, it's like how long is a piece of string and yes. also bees are not in there. They're not in there printing. They're not, you know, they're not making literally gold. They're not printing dollar bills in there. They're making honey and you got to find a way to get it out. Um, and then, and then sell it for what you think is a fair price for the amount of work it takes to get. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and so trying to make a living, off of selling honey this way is still very challenging. Um, if you think, you know, if I make a ton of honey a year um, using this method, and but I'm only getting, um, I'm getting, a, after all my expenses, I'm getting, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 bucks a kilo, that's still in 20 grand a year, which is not, yes. you know, that's not a living. I've got to do other things in addition to that, um, even though it's getting, you know, I'm approaching full-time job territory here. Yes. Um, which is one of the reasons I'm starting to look at, at trying to um, buy in honey from elsewhere and, um, and, and, and repackage really good quality um, Langstroth honey in addition to this. And then I'm also starting to look at queen bee, um, queen bee production. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So. And, and speaking of queen bee, so, so what about how you increase your numbers? Matthew, so what's what's a general way of increasing numbers of a of a worry? Because as far as my, I've kept them before. I, I love mm-hmm. them. They look like a piece of furniture in your in your garden. Really, absolutely love them. They look really good. But but obviously, I put swarms in them. But how would you do right. it? Yeah, how do you do it? Do you do splits? Can you do it very similar? I, I you can do splits easy, just as easily as you can do splits with a Langstroth hive. It's just you know you can do. Um, you can do what do you call it? Just like wine splits, or you know, you can just split frames out, and they'll they'll requeen themselves. Um, because my frames are all the same size as as all my other frames. It's just they happen to be square frames instead of um, of rectangular frames. They're they're interchangeable between all my boxes, so I can split four frames off of a, off of one of my boxes. Um, they they fit eight frames in a box. Yes. Um, yep. 
so I could I could split four off and then shake some more beasons. But what I usually do is around swarm season, around this time of year, um, I'll split the hives that I really like, um, the uh, you know the queens that I really like, and then if they've got extra queen cells um, uh, during swarm season, sometimes I'll just you know I'll harvest those queen cells and use those ones to to start um, to start new hives, or I'll make artificial swarms out of the out of the really good ones. Um, and then just do my best to not, not propagate the, uh, the mean genetics, um, too much. We, the bees that we've got down here, um, around Mount Gambia are aggressive, okay. uh, extremely aggressive. The wild type bees, you know, you see, you see people on online, they'll, they'll pet a swarm of bees around here. You can have a swarm, not talking about a hive of bees, but a swarm of bees that will attack you from 10, 15 meters away. Wow. Um, okay. And they'll just come at you. If you go up and you try to pet one of those, they'll get, <laughs> they'll kill you. Um, yes. Yep. So I, I try to keep um, those genetics at bay as best I can. And I, I keep my bees what I call functionally aggressive. So they're still mean, um, but I can get honey out of them. Yeah, okay. Um, yes, yeah. I could, in, in theory, I could go through, I do have some hives that are extremely friendly. I could probably go through all my hives and, and aggressively requeen. Um, but one of the things that's nice about having the, the variety of genetics that I do have is that um, what I mainly select for is disease resistance. Um, so I, um, we could get into a whole other conversation about queen bee breeding, but um, I, I do test for hygienic behavior. Okay. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and my hives are all very, very hygienic, um, and they they produce honey. And the local streams, even though a lot of them are are aggressive, they are very well adapted to the seasonal craziness that we have down here. So they're more likely they're not going to just start um, producing tons of brood as soon as it starts to warm up. Um, whereas if I were to, as I, I've done in the past, I have gotten you know I've gotten. Needed, needed a queen, especially in the beginning, I needed a couple of queens, right? So I ordered them from, I think I ordered them from Queensland or uh, Northern Territory or somewhere. And those bees just were not acclimated. Um, and so in spring, as soon as it just started to warm up a little bit, you know, massive brood production, yes. and they just sort of, you oh, know, it's mm. a party, we've got pollen coming in, and yes. then all of a sudden, you know, it goes down to, down to minus one at night again um, for a week in the hive dies. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They just they just collapse, um, and I uh, I don't really want to have to feed my bees if I can help it. I don't think anybody wants to have to feed their bees. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so yeah, the the local strains I I don't have to feed them. Um, they just they they know when to start really ramping up the brood production. I think it would be different if I was a commercial beekeeper and, and moving to to pollination contracts and things like that. Yes. Um, but uh, I haven't, I haven't targeted pollination contracts, um, or tried to compete for uh, the, I guess, big honey producing sites. I haven't tried to get into that because that's a whole other political ball game too. Mm. Um, and uh, and doing it this way, I've been, I don't know, I've been able to just sort of expand organically and um, do my own thing, and that's been great. That's I love it. I've absolutely, you know, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. So keep up the great, the uh, great work, Matthew, because it's really, 
really amazing. So, and for the people wanting to um, to sort of check you out, so go to unspunhoney.com. Uh, yeah, unspunhoney.com or dot, dot au. I, I think I've got – it'll all go to the same place. Okay. Um, and, uh, and you can check me out there. I don't think I've got any honey for I, – I rarely have honey for sale on my website um, just because I, it tends to all go to Adelaide and then it gets snapped up. Okay. Also, yeah. and, and actually, one one last question before we uh, before we go um, yeah. is your accent. You got a bit of an accent. Where's that from? I do. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm I'm originally from uh, from Canada. My wife and I are both originally from Canada. We moved out here. How long has it been now? Going on eleven years, I think. Okay. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Um, Where about to Canada? Uh, close to Toronto. Awesome, fantastic. In, yeah, in Yeah, That's absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Well, uh, so everyone, um, jump on board, check it out, unspunhoney.com or .com.au. Uh, you're on Facebook, Unspun Honey, at Instagram. You're on Instagram, Matthew? I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm probably on Twitter, but I don't really look at Twitter. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, really appreciate yeah. it. And um, thanks. Thank for, you thanks. very much for your time, too. No, no, it's awesome. And and for everyone, yeah, check check out his sites because that's really cool. Because as I said, it's really unique, and I don't know anyone else doing it. And uh, keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you very much, Ben. Mm-hmm.